Live from Columbia, Missouri, this is The Hot Corner with your hosts, Patrick Harrion, Michael Imami, and Logan Franz. One hour of nonstop sports starts right now. And good morning, Columbia, and welcome to another edition of The Hot Corner. I'm your host, Patrick Heron. Alongside me is Michael Imami and Logan Franz. It is Thursday, March 11th, the year of our Lord, 2021. And it rained a lot last night. Hell, a lot of the thunder and lightning kept me up pretty late into the night around two, I don't say around one o'clock. I feel like the storm lasted and it really, you know, was not good when you have to wake up at 545 in the morning. Yeah, I was laying in bed and all of a sudden I didn't realize it was like raining or anything because I didn't hear it at all. And then I just heard this loud clap of thunder. Scared me half to death while I was trying to fall asleep. And yeah, I'm with you. I didn't get to sleep until about 1 a.m. last night either. Yeah, it was it was an experience, to say the least. You know, usually I'd say I love storms. At home, I'll sit on the, on the porch, because Midwest, I'll sit on the porch and watch the storms, because we're nuts. <laughs> and, you know, when you don't have to wake up at 545, it's fine. When you have to wake up at 545, it is not I mean, it's nice to fall asleep to when it's just the sound of rain, but this wasn't just the sound of rain. This was rain, thunder. I don't know if there was any lightning involved, but there was definitely a lot of a lot of sound coming from outside last night. Yeah, it was it was our first real big storm of the year. And, you know, as much as I hate it, there's something cool about seeing the lightning, you know, light up your room at night. You know, it's it's pretty cool with everything that was going on. So, without further ado, we're going to head into our talks for today. And one of them is revolving around, as I call it, the state of the show. So, as you know, Sunday is Selection Sunday, and with that means the beginning of the March Madness. Now, conference tournaments have been in full swing so far. Some teams that have already had their automatic bids have been Gonzaga, Drexels, Cleveland State, Mount St. Mary's, Ronald Roberts won their tournaments the last couple days. SEC starts soon. I believe it starts today. The ACC has been going strong in the last couple of days. Big Ten started yesterday. No, excuse me. The SEC started yesterday. And really, we're getting close to our favorite show that we do, our favorite episode of the show that we do here, and that's our March Madness preview. Now, our March Madness preview will be taking place next Thursday, which means that we will have the breakdown every single game. All 32 games next Thursday. And honestly, I'm really excited for it. I'm excited for it, too, and I'm excited for Selection Sunday just to see where some of these teams fall and see see what the, what the future holds for this year's tournament. Because, you know, we didn't get to do it last year. It's been rough, given how our, our show had been postponed, given the uh, state of, of the pandemic. How we're all sent home. We were not able to do our our March Madness preview because there really wasn't anything to preview because a year ago, two days from now, on the 13th and the 12th, there were two days where I call it the day sports died. And we weren't able to really break down the March Madness because it was canceled. There was nothing. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's not a good thing when a pandemic hits and you everybody's sick and... Um, you know, it's a, it's a rough situation last year, and I, I, it's the feeling of, of just 
terrific emotions this year is great. I mean, we talked about how they lost somewhere of a surplus between $500 million last year, and I remember you looking at me and saying, there's no way in heck they're not going to run it this year, and I think that that is a good call on their part because there are a lot of people that bank on uh, this tournament, and for a lot of good reasons. I mean, it, it lifts up a lot of people. It brings a lot of emotion to the table, and it, it it does a lot for a lot of people around the country, and I'm glad, for one, that they're doing this, not just because it's obviously college hoops, which we all love, but because of the individuals that it lifts up, I think it's the most important thing. It's it's very important to, you know, have these these periods of normalcy. And I've said it throughout the uh, the season of the show. I've mentioned it a lot, especially with baseball. You know, having the fans in the stands, having sports going on, it's really going to be that point where now we're looking at, hey, the vaccines are out. Our people are starting to get vaccinated. Things are starting to go back to normal. I feel like when March Madness is here, now it might be a little different given how seating will go in Indianapolis because that's where the entire tournament is because usually they'll spread it around the country. It'll be nice to just have that back. So you can turn on the TV on that Thursday and Friday next week, you know, sit down there from 11 in the, in the morning till 11 at night, which I have done many times in my life, and just watch all the games. It gives you that sense of normalcy. That's something that we all need. Yeah, I mean, normalcy to an extent, right? I mean, you're not going to have fans in the stands, so that's that's one thing, um, or at least not many for in a lot of cases for the uh, the tournaments. But I think the one thing that, I think we can all share is the fact, as you said, Patrick, is that's a little bit of a sense of normalcy. Um, and seeing that all these sports have, have really made a comeback and have found a way to work through this pandemic, I think is is not only incredible on a, on a, on a level of saying, hey, you know, let's look at this preparation, let's look at what they've done. But we've seen limited COVID exposure. We, we haven't had individuals who have had very many outbreaks to this point. Everybody's doing a great job of taking this thing seriously, and people have been staying healthy, maintaining good hygiene, washing their hands and everything. So, you know, a lot of these, and that, and that speaks a lot to the discipline of these college students who have, you know, it's not been easy for them. I mean, these 18, 19, 20-year-olds who, you know, and, and I, I don't think they're the party type, but I certainly think it's a little, it's a lot harder for telling, you know, 18, 19, 20-year-old athletes that, you know, you guys need to stay in while all their friends are going out. But they've been doing that, and they've been doing a good job of it. So credit to them for that. Yeah, the way the way the league has, you know, the NCAA and all the schools have worked throughout the conference tournament so far is everything's been perfectly fine. And I think it'll carry on over into the March Madness when the games start next week. I feel like it's going to be a continuation of what we've seen already. It's going to be a lot more drawn back. You're going to see players, you know, not going to see that many cases going on because we've seen throughout the last few weeks. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see because they're going to be playing it all in Indiana the great state of Indiana. <laughs> and while it might not be what we all expect it to be, as we would have, you know, saw in 20, <coughs> excuse me, in 2019, at least it's here. Yeah, it's some sense of normalcy, and I think that's something we've talked about a lot over the past couple months even on this show. Just having these things that people can turn to just for some semblance of things being almost back to normal, even if it's not completely the same. People like to use sports as an escape, and it's been hard for sports to escape, you know, everything going on lately, but it is nice to finally have it back and return to um, return to something that's more like normal than before. And here's a few other updates. In the Atlantic Sun, Liberty took the automatic bid, even though they did, I believe they did not win the Atlantic Sun this year, but a team that is in the running to win it is not 
eligible for the tournament. So in case you guys don't know, being eligible for a tournament when you're a transitional program, such as, you know, uh, let me pull it up here first so I'm not just talking. But teams that make the jump from Division Two to Division One have to wait a few years to win, at least make it into the tournament. And really, it's it's I believe it's a really bad rule that they've been doing the last few years. But what more can I really say? But Liberty took the bid for the Atlantic Sun. As you know, every conference winner gets an automatic bid to the tournament. Winthrop won the Big South. Drexel in the Colonial, as I stated earlier. Cleveland State in the Horizon League. Loyola Chicago in the Missouri Valley. Mount St. Mary's in the Northeast. Moorhead State in the Ohio Valley. Uh, University of North Carolina Greensboro in the Southern. Oral Roberts in the Summit. Appalachian State in the Sun Belt. First time they've made it in over 21 years and Gonzaga in the West Coast. And a quick rundown of gate dates and times. You know, the ACC championship will be on the 14th. AC, yeah, excuse me, the AAC will be on the 14th. ACC on the 13th. American East on the 13th. So this weekend is championship weekend. Sunday, Selection Sunday. Something we're all looking forward to. And as I say every year on the show, I will make the seat of integrity... <laughs> which I will use for every single pool that I'm a part of. One bracket only. If, it, if it's dead by the Sunday, let it be dead. Which all odds are, by, by the way of things, most of the time it is. Yeah, most you know, I, I you know, usually have that fail-safe of, like, UNC, I can just throw in there. I'm like, hey, UNC, they're going to win this year. Not this year. They're, they're, <laughs> they're not very good. Even though they did destroy Notre Dame last night, they're not that good. Really, this is you know I'm gonna throw a I'm gonna throw something at the wall here. This is this is the year that Gonzaga puts it all together. I know Michael's gonna have some few few words from from me after that comment, but you know I just feel like Gonzaga. This is the year that they do it. Given given how the year has gone and how a lot of the blue bloods have not been near nowhere near as great as they have been in the past, I feel that this you know this year they'll get it all together and that's why they'll lose to a 16 seat in the first round. <laughs> so. History repeats itself, and I feel like I don't know. I feel like there's I don't I don't trust Gonzaga nearly as much as maybe I should, and maybe other people do. But it's 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 difficult. Like I I want them to finally be able to put it together. But like I said, when it's a trend, it's a trend. And with Gonzaga, it's a trend that they just exit a lot long before they actually should. Also, shout out Ivy League. They will not be in the tournament this year. Sad. Yeah, I mean, I think Gonzaga. Uh, just witnessing them and experiencing them uh, in years past. Obviously, my family out on the West Coast, shout out to them. Um, big Gonzaga fans had my one of my cousins graduate from them, so it's kind of one of those things that brings the family together. And just, I've rooted for them, and I've had a negative experience in doing so. I mean, we've seen them, you know, go out in the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. Um, they had a Final Four appearance a couple years ago, but unfortunately that ended in a loss as well, so... You know, you look at a successful trend there, but it hasn't amounted to a national championship. And obviously, when Gonzaga is number one as often as they are, you would hopefully expect that that would be the case, uh, especially when you put as much time and effort as I have in rooting for them. But um, they've come up short a lot, so that's why I have my critiques. But fairness to you, Patrick, I, I think you've got something you're working with there in terms of thinking that they might have a shot this year. Yeah, it, it just makes sense given how everything has gone. You know, the way the season's been, how we have teams like Illinois somehow, you know, in the top four, 
Mizzou made it in the top 10 a few a few times this season. Teams that were not exactly used to playing well are playing well. And I feel like that's going to carry on over in the tournament. But then again, they could also open the door for Cinderella teams. Remember Loyola Chicago a few years back, you know, took the nation's heart by storm. You know, everyone was cheering for, for the Ramblers in the tournament a few years ago. So before we head off to break, I was going to throw it around the table. Way too early champion for tournament. I'm going, I'm probably going to go with Gonzaga here. Well, but, I wanted to make one more point before, yeah. I, um, before I go ahead and do that. We were talking to a friend about this last week, and he said that it's kind of been better for teams that might that didn't lose as many people going into this past year and maybe not have as many freshmen because they weren't they didn't have a chance to integrate with the rest of the team and kind of you know get themselves acclimated so that's the reason why we might be seeing some surprise teams maybe they've been to um together longer i'm gonna i haven't done enough to call a national championship yes um yet but early predictions i think i'm gonna end up going safe and going with um Baylor, who I believe is still at number two. Yes. Makes sense. I, I can I can side with that. I was a big Baylor fan last year. I was looking forward to them in the tournament, especially I was looking forward to San Diego State, but I didn't get to see that, and that made me sad. All right, Michael. I'm going to go with Baylor as well. Baylor, safe pick. So you heard it here first. Don't quote us. Do not bet. Given our statements on the show, we do not. <laughs> Logan, say the disclaimer. The hot corner does not necessarily condone gambling. There you go. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to head out east to the National League East and our divisional breakdown of the MLB. All this and more in Hot Corner on KCU 88.1 FM and KCU.FM. A ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update. I'm going to let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. Okay. Hey, this is KCOU 88.1 FM. Are you trying to release the hottest project of this year, possibly next? Come down to our studio in the Student Center, and we can mix, master, record, edit, engineer your whole project, your whole artistic experience wrapped into one visit. Please come down and visit us. If any of this interests you, please email sessions at kcou.fm. of our divisional breakdown here in the hot corner as we've done the last couple seasons we have broke down each division in major league baseball last week was a wrap-up of the west the two west divisions the nano west and the american league west we talked about the american league west last week this week we're going to leave the central for later and head out east to one of my favorite divisions to talk about and rants about the national league east as you know last year the braves won the east Again, even though people like to say that the Braves are not good and they're not going to win the East, no matter how many predictions that I come across on the Internet, I have seen so many websites, so many news organizations saying that the Braves are not going to win the East. And really, I don't see what kind of, I don't know what they're talking about. That's 
as great as way as I can describe it. So, without further ado, Michael, the NL East, NL, yeah, NL East. What are your thoughts before we dive into each individual team? Well, I think my thoughts are obvious. I mean, you look at the Mets roster and you say, well, the Mets have a solid chance of winning this division. And then you think about their problems in years past and you're like, oh, wait, that's probably not going to happen because somebody's going to get injured down the halfway stretch. So no bias here, but I like kind of the Nationals roster. I think the bullpen's really improving. I think the main issue with the Nationals, and this is going back obviously to that Devil Magic World Series they had two years ago, was the bullpen that they've seemingly sorted out completely their starters are returning john lester was picked up so overall i like their chances so far and obviously i know going back two years ago they lost rendon but how about that prospect they've got luis garcia the 21 soon to be excuse me 21 year old for the nationals having a fantastic uh rookie campaign last year and uh looking to do the same next year and the nationals have a great uh history of breeding prospects look at the braves obviously that's a favorite of mine too um, they've got a lot of their guys returning, but my issue with the Braves is they just can't seem to crack that first round, you know, where it's just like, okay, yeah, well, we're here in the first round, and then they lose. It's like all the anticipation, all the, you know, kind of stuff like that, and then they blow the lead last year with the Dodgers. So to me, they just can't get over that hump, and I think they really kind of remind me of that typical Atlanta sports team of just blowing leads, and that to me is pretty much what describes the Braves in a nutshell. So. I think the Braves may have a good shot at winning the division, too, but um, I don't think they're going to get very far, and by not very far, I mean they're probably not going to make it out of the NLDS. You see, I I feel with the Braves this season, you're going to see a little bit more maturing, I want to say, in terms of playoff experience. Given that they've now gone the last few years, I feel like they'll win the East. They'll make it into, at least, I say the NLCS. I feel like that's where... The at least point for the Braves. I'm really high on them this year. I, I love, I love Freddie Freeman, Dansby Swanson, great uh, Hazi Albies. Uh, they got Ozuna back, and Okunia's great. You know they have a lot of the bats, but you know the one part that makes me a little more cautious is that rotation. I, lo- I love Soroka and Freed, but you know Morton's getting up there in age. They got Drew Smiley who hasn't. I don't know how many how many games has he thrown the last four three or three seasons. He's been hurt every single year. Right. There's a lot of question marks when it comes to the rotation, but I feel like they can out-hit a lot of people. So before we, you know, I, I've hit it before. We're just going to go straight into it. We're going to get some of the bad teams out of the way first. And, you know, when I'm going to go with bad teams here, I'm going to go with the Miami Marlins. You know, last year was a fun year. They made the playoffs. They beat the Cubs. Yeah, I know. They did that. But, you know, they still have a little bit more time until they're 100% ready to make that deep playoff push. They got a lot of prospects coming up, you know, Jeter has done some good things with the team, but you know, give it a few more years. That's that's kind of like my main point here. Get the Marlins a few more years, and they'll make that deep run. I feel like we've been saying that since 2005. I don't know about 2005. I, I would say I mean, at least. I would say at least, given what they've done with their farm system, given what they've done with, you know, some of the trades they made in the past, I feel like this time it's for real. Yeah, I mean. You know the Marlins, you know, and and obviously the, the the travesty last year was is that every year that we could say that every year the Marlins made the postseason they won the World Series. Well, that didn't happen last year. Um, but a thing to note is last year, even though they were a playoff team, and I will say that they were a playoff team, a lot of the case because of the wacky season last year. They did have the fifth highest ERA of 550 in the majors, so that's that's a problem, and that was their bullpen. 
So I think that's where they got to start, really. I mean, I think, as you said, they have a solid core prospects that they can really kind of move off of. But as of right now, I think the main issue is their bullpen. They got to get that setup guys right. They got to get the closers right. And I think once they get that right, I think in their bats start coming through. We talked about how the Marlins were a team that just hosted a bunch of retrades. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, to me, that's that's a big problem. Yeah, I mean, Emilio Bonifacio is the first name that comes to mind when I think of retrades because that was one of the starters for the, for the Marlins just a few years ago, and that's just the way that they were operating. I think Jeter's somewhat turning things around, but he's still got a lot of work to do before he gets there. Hey, you know, again, when you're do, when you're in that rebuild mode, you still there's still work that needs to be done. You have the people here. Now you just need to get it to work. You know, that's what the Marlins situation is. So 73 wins at most. At, at least, you know, between that 66 to 73 category, that seven-win seven win gap, I feel like, is a good enough area for them. Yeah, that's where I'd put them, too. I'd say around 75. I'd be a little bit more generous just because I think things have somewhat improved, but I think 75 is a good win metric, I'd say, for them. I don't think they're going to hit the, the low 60s because I, I think that they're a better better team than a 100-loss team, but um, I, I think we're getting a little bit closer to 500 there, but my, my best guess would be around 75. Next thing we're going to talk about here is the Philadelphia Phillies, my second favorite National League team. And, you know, they have a lot of good players. You know, Aaron Noah's phenomenal pitcher, Cy Young candidate. You know, JT Romito's back. Uh, Hoskins is fine. Harper's still there. McCutcheon in his 15th year in the, in the bigs. He's still there. You know, they have a lot of good pieces. But the Phillies are that team that I feel like they're just missing that one thing. Like, they're just missing one part. And if they could ever figure out what that part is... They'll be in contention for the East, but I feel like they're just that. I don't really know what to describe them as. I have them as in bolded on my on my screen here. A very odd team, and I feel like that's a good enough thing to say about them. Yeah, I mean, I'd say they're an odd team, but the other thing you have to keep in mind is they did have the worst bullpen of, of their in ninety years last year. Um, so that that's a problem, right? I mean, you, you can't have a bad bullpen like that. And you know, credit to them, it, they added three relievers, the forty man roster: Archie Bradley, Jose Alvarado, and Sam Coonrod. But you know, and then they also signed veterans Brandon Kitzler, Tony Watson, and Hector Rendon in minor league contracts. But my thinking is, is that those were big things that will help improve their 40-man roster significantly. And I'm not talking about like a little bit. I'm talking about significantly. That's the one thing that's keeping them back is that bullpen. They've got. They've shown that they've got the hitting. They 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 do have, as you said, the starting pitching is there. They've got a lot of talent there, but that bullpen really was keeping them from going up here last year. And now that they sorted that out, we'll see what happens. Yeah, you know, as you say, the bullpen was a dumpster fire in itself. I would say a dumpster fire is being too generous towards that bullpen. Way too generous. But if they can figure that out, as they said, that maybe that's the one missing part. You know, Joe Girardi's there. Phenomenal manager, but that bullpen is definitely. It's like the um, the interstates in Chicago. It's constantly under construction. It's never going to be complete. I mean, we can say that all the way back to 2018. And you know, my thinking is the Phillies have just not had. They've just not been very lucky with with their setup guys. They just haven't been. Guys have gotten injured. Guys have been out. I mean, it's it's really frustrating. I've I've not had. I remember if I can recall correctly. Um, they did have a position player. Um, for, this is a second. I've seen this two times in baseball. Two times. Both it happened with the Phillies, where they've had a position player as a pitcher in like the eleventh or twelfth inning. Now maybe that happens more often than I've seen it. 
Um, but in the it, two it, times I that I have seen it, def- uh, you know, as you get later into like deeper into the season, let's say half uh, past the All Star break, you'll see teams if it gets like the thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth inning where it's like, hey, I don't want to throw starters out there. Both teams kind of resort to it, or they just throw the long reliever out there and say, hey, keep pitching till your arm falls off. But you'll that's where you'll see the position players go. So the Phillies, I've got them at eighty three wins. I'd say around 83 would be perfect for me, honestly. Yeah, that, that's the prediction I've got. So that leaves us with three teams. Three teams. One, the Nationals, the Braves, and our favorite team to rant about and get mad about the Mets. <sighs> so, Michael, I'm going to throw it to you. I want to ask you, which one do you want to talk about first? Well, I'm in the mood to get some stuff off my chest, so let's talk about the Mets. The New York Mets, the eternal solitude of badness. That's my phrase for them. They added some players. You know, they got Lindor in the trade, James McCann they signed, Kevin Pillar, Albert Amaro Jr. from the Cubs. There's a lot of hype on this team. You know, we talked about it a lot in our baseball segments this season so far. And it's like, you know, the Mets, if they just get it together, if they just do, you know, they got Jacob DeGrom, they got Stroman, Carlos Carrasco, the bullpen's going to be eh. But if they can get that rotation working, if they can just stay healthy, they can do it. But, like, come on. It's yeah. the Mets. I mean, we already have Seth Lugo missing opening day. Uh, you know, it's just like I – one of the things that I think it's hilarious with – well, not hilarious. I mean, you don't want to see injuries. But the one of the things that I think is, is funny with the Mets, or interesting at least, we've talked about this ad nauseum on this show where everybody says, okay – Mets have the roster to get them to the playoffs, but it's never the roster that they started with. It's always the roster that they end up with that causes them the problems. What I mean by that is, and obviously you know this, at least one or two of their starters go out. Um, It's initially supposed to be a six-week thing, turns into a 12-week thing, and next thing you know they're out for three months. That's going to get you problems. And then I remember, and this goes all the way back to Matt Harvey, where you know he missed opening day years back because of the flu he had a cold it's just like i this team is cursed there's no other way to describe it i mean this team has so many problems now of course we go back to the world series appearance they had in 2015 and that was a good team and they were able to get everything right that year but that was one of the few years that the mets have been able to get all those things right every year they've gone out there they have not had or not every season that they've gone out there and played they have not had somebody stay healthy the entire season. And that's not always going to be the case in baseball because guys are going to get hurt long season, 162 games, but they've had at least two significant injuries every year, to my knowledge. Yeah, every year it's just injury after injury after injury. And that's really what the Mets are. It's it's a walking walking injured list. Right. And you look at it and it's like, this team has so much potential. It's That's why I, you know, I... Make them like they're the, they're the National League's angels, or as I said last week, the Angels are the, are the American League Mets. Right. They have that team. They have so much potential. They have all the pieces there, but they just never figure it out. Yeah. Whether it be injury, whether it just be going cold at the wrong times, getting hot at the wrong times, you not, you just they sit there and you look at that roster and you just sit there puzzled and you're like, why? It, I mean, I, I got to be the only one in here, or I may be the only one in here f- who feel this. But I, I, for one, folks, full disclosure, I hate the Mets. Um, but but it kind of makes me angry. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
if you have this much potential to do something and you never see somebody achieve that potential because there's always these things holding them back, it's just frustrating. I don't like I don't I don't know how to articulate this, but when you see on paper Noah Syndergaard, Jacob DeGrom, you, you look at that hitting and you're just like, why in the world does this team not get their stuff together? It just frustrates you. It, it's the same thing with the Angels for me. It's like, how do you spend this much money on guys and just have it all fall apart so quickly? It's, it is the biggest mystery in baseball. Second to the A's somehow being good for the last 10 years. But that, that's, that, that's, that, we already had that There's discussion. There's no mystery there. There's so, no mystery there. Before we move on Moneyball. to our final two teams in the last seven minutes, the Mets... 83 wins, no playoff. There it is. That's the final decision for me. I'm going to say they're a solid 500 team. 81 and 81. 81 and 81, no playoffs. All right, final two teams here, Nationals. As you said earlier, lots of young talent. Their rotation is a little old, but it's it's vintage. It's not old, it's vintage. Yeah, Mizzou grad Max Scherzer, phenomenal pitcher in the last 10 years. Strasburg's a national classic. Patrick Corbin, you know, filling out that third spot on the rotation, not talked about enough. Lester signed in the offseason as they wrote down a tad old, but hey, they're not slowing down. That's really what I've got in them. You know, Luis Garcia, Carter Kaboom, Robles, and Soto are all going to be great. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. A mixture of young and old rotation, old um, core, the hitting core is young, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch them. Yeah, how about that last name? Carter Keep Boom. I mean, that's great. It's just, I feel like every time I've watched him, he just hasn't been able to get, hasn't been able to amount to his, what his last name, I think, I think states. But anyway, I digress. Um, the bullpen, big deal for me. Will Harris, Daniel Hudson, Tanner Rainey, all great players. Um, obviously, I think Mike Rizzo, the GM of the Nationals, has done a solid job building this team. Um, I think overall, Especially, and as I said, I keep going back to the 2018 team, but that's the team that won the World Series. You look at how they made those moves, right? They relied on their young hitters. They wanted veterans in the bullpen, and that won them that World Series that year. The experience and the pitching staff got them to where they needed to go, and the young hitters ended up allowing them to kind of feed off of that, right? And so, you know, we saw that time. Soto at that time was 20, 21 years old, right? Around our age, surprise. Um, and he, he was fantastic. And he was young, he was inexperienced, but he was fantastic. We're seeing that right now with Luis Garcia, who basically right now is is shaping up to be one of the solid prospects for the Nationals. So banking off of that young hitting, Rizzo's got a thing going here. And I think every team should be following it because experience in the bullpen is something that you need at this stage. I would not feel comfortable with having a 20, 21-year-old reliever versus having a 20, 21-year-old hitter that I know is going to hit it deep. Yeah, you know, what what they've done with the Nationals has been great. You know, watching them win that World Series in 2019 was fun. It was nice to see, you know, a team that has never won beat the Astros. And, you know, it was it was just a good time and everything. Last year, a little disappointed, but, hey, it's the weird 60-game season. Cut them some slack. I'm not going to make myself eat, eat words like I did uh, freshman year, when Michael keeps bringing up how I said the Nationals are not very good, they're never not let good. that one go. They're under 500, and then they end up winning the World Series. So you know, as I said in the show, I will probably eat my words if that does come. I'm not going to say anything with them, but the Nationals, they are, they're going to finish second in the division. I have that at least. 
Now, whether or not they'll be closer to the Braves is another question. I've got them about, about at about 86 to 87 wins, 87, 88, around that three-win three, three win range. I feel like it's a good enough prediction for Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I think that, um, you know, Dave, Dave Martinez is going to do a good job in adapting, as he's always done. Um, I think that overall this team... To me, as I said, it, it strikes me as about an 87-88 win team. I mean, I think that they're 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 solid. They have the the prospects. They have the guys out there, and I think they will have a good season this year. And and I, I can see them making the wild card. Yeah, wild card definitely in contention for, but that that contention could become an issue when we especially get to the National League Central, given that there's not four wild card spots in each division, each uh, league this year, because the Player Association voted against the expanded playoffs. Good for them. I despise the expanded playoffs. But anyways, 86, 88, 89, around, around that three-win window, I feel like it's a good enough prediction for national. So final team here before we head off the break here. We talked about them in our little overview segment of the uh, National League East, and that's the Atlanta Braves. You know, the team, as Michael said, just could not get past that first round. It, the, the stigma of Atlanta sports, blowing leads, making their fans live a life of a swirling whirlpool of pain and misery. But, you know, looking at the Braves again, Freeman, Alvy, Swanson, Ozuna, Okunia, that hitting squad, I, I can't really vote. I can't really go against them. I really can't. Yeah, I was really happy to see Ozuna get that deal with the Braves. I mean, he's just been playing his heart out the last couple of years. And I, I've always been a fan. And I, I know they're in the division that the Nationals are in. But I've always been a fan of their hitting. I think I think it's really an art when you see it there. And how about Acuna? I mean, Acuna is one of my favorite hitters to watch. That that finished on the swing, and I know a lot of people say Ozuna's is great, and I do agree with that. But I love Acuna, Acuna's finish on that swing. So this takes me back to the time where I don't know if you remember when Josh Donaldson was with the Braves a couple years ago, and they were leading the 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 MLB in basically every hitting metric that you could find. Um, this team overall is very well managed. I think that they will have a solid 90-plus win season this year, in my opinion. Yeah, they, they're my team to win the NL East. I've tenanted before. 93 wins. I was going to say 95. Wow. But, okay. All right. Yeah. You're out predicting me on the show here. That's a first. Usually I'm the one that's too high on teams. <laughs> I lowball you highball, but I'm going to say 95 here. All right, 93 wins, and at least at least the NLCS for the Braves. That's my final prediction. Michael, you got 30 seconds to say your final prediction before we head off to break. So, go. I'm going to say 95 wins. I feel that this team overall has a solid hitting rotation. I think they have a solid hitting rotation. I think the pitching staff is great. They're young, but great. Um, and I also think that the bullpen's coming together. So this team, to me, strikes me as a mid-90s win team. And also, fun fact, last time they won the World Series, I believe, was the mid-90s. They so. did. They did win the mid-90s. All right, you heard it here first. We're going to head off to a quick break here. When we come back, Logan's going to take it away with This Week in Hockey and more. All this and more on Hot Corner on KCU 88.1 FM and KCU.FM. Look at me, busy as a bee. Where'd I get all this energy? Oh, man. Mm, man. I don't sleep and I don't eat, but I've got the cleanest house on the street. Oh, man. Mm, man. Get these hairs all out of my face. Get these bugs all out of my place. One more hit. No time to waste. Oh, man. Mm, man. A delicious power breakfast. Great way to start the day. 
I'm Brandon Anthony. And I'm Keegan Hartman. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. to listen to me. And me on our new show, Breakfast of Champions. Here on KCOU Sports, KCOU 88.1 FM. A segment that has become a staple of the show here as we expand our knowledge of sports. This Week in Hockey, hosted by yours truly, Logan France. So, Logan, as I say every week, take the mic, say whatever you want. (laughs) I was thinking of something clever. Zach couldn't really say it, so go. So, I've been feeling a lot this season like we're back in 2015. For whatever reason, like Marc-Andre Fleury is playing at a high level. Drew Doughty is in contention for the Norris Trophy. Patrick Kane on Zig Kopitar and Nicholas Backstrom are all in top 10 in scoring. So it feels like we're kind of getting some of that like vintage NHL from the past few years ago. But anyways, now, oh, and um, Tom Wilson was suspended again. So that's something hey, that hey, there has, we go. Things are back to normal. Nature is returning. Exactly. Everything, as, as I like to say, everything reverts back to the mean. And here we are now with... um with Tom Wilson being suspended again, so it feels like we're back in 2015. Anyways, I wanted to talk this week, since it's kind of a slow news week. I mean, the Maple Leafs have lost three straight, so they're they're falling out of contention in their division, but regardless, not much to talk about that we haven't already covered on the show at least once, so I wanted to talk about maybe some midway trophy predictions, like the Hart Trophy, obviously, is the crown jewel, and on NHL.com, Dan Rosen has this piece that's highlights leaders in every division. I want to hear your guys' thoughts on it and obviously get my own input to it. So I'm going to run you through the Hart Trophy candidates he has. In the Mass Mutual East Division, he has Nicholas Backstrom. In the Honda West Division, he has Anze Kopitar. In the Discover Central Division, he has Patrick Kane. And in the Scotia North Division, he has Connor McDavid. So I want to throw it to you guys. Any of those four in particular that you want to talk about as a heart, a heart finalist. Uh, not exactly. You know, all of it seems kind of. I mean, when I when I hear McDavid's voice, it's like, yeah, you know, okay, of course, it's it's the North, the Great White North Division, the Scotia Great White North Division, <laughs> excuse me. And you know, really, nothing seems to be out of the ordinary. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. The East and the West are the two that are interesting to me because I feel like you could have an entire um group of three finalists for the Hart Trophy and all of them could come out of the North Division. You've got two you've got two of them on the exact same team, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, and then obviously Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner are having incredible seasons. Mark Scheifele could even be in that conversation. I believe he's fifth in scoring at the moment. So there's just a lot of firepower in that Canadian division and a lot of scoring going on in that Canadian division where I feel like you could potentially Obviously, Patrick Kane, I, I think firmly in the mix. Maybe that's my bias coming out, though. But it feels like a lot of those finalists are just concentrated in Canada. Well, it is, yeah, it's Canada. Canadia. It, it is Canadia. Canadia. You know, what Patrick Kane has done this season is really reminiscent of 2015 and, you know, of those great Blackhawks runs. Watching a few of the games this year, hockey has not exactly been the sport I've been following as much as I used to do. Last year and the year before, I spent a lot of time watching the Blackhawks. This year, I don't know why, not so much. But from what, the games I have seen, Patrick Kane looks like he's 25 again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been the big talk about him this season. Is He still looks like, 
he's actually right now, and obviously sample size is an issue, but he's scoring at a higher rate than he was when he won the Art Ross Trophy in um, 2015-2016. So he's having just an incredible season, and he he won the Hart Trophy in 15-16 as well. So he's having an incredible season, and it kind of feels like it kind of feels like he's the father of like this group of like high volume scores. So like, you know, all the young guns there, McDavid, all the guys I mentioned before. And then it's just Patrick Kane here at 32 years old and still scoring at a high level. It's just incredible what he's been able to accomplish. And I think he's firmly in the MVP race. If you ask me. Yeah, I would definitely put him in the MVP race given how, you know, the importance that he has been for the Blackhawks, you know, they're playing without Jonathan Taze, their captain. He's kind of taken over that, you know, alternative captain role fairly well. It's, if you're looking at the most valuable player, you look at team and you look at what they've done in the league. And I feel like Kane's done both fairly well. Mm-hmm. That's where I feel like he might actually be the front runners, just because every team, every other team that has a player in the mix has another player in the mix. Like, for example, the, the Maple Leafs. If you, example, the Oilers. You have McDavid and Drysaddle going at it with each other. You know, they're both fighting for that number one point score. Mm-hmm. And really, you can't really say, well, one's more valuable than the other because they're both playing to almost equally playing standard. Mm-hmm. And then the Leafs have Austin Matthews, who granted has been injured the past few games, but Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, who are both also scoring at a high level. If one isn't doing it, the other isn't doing it. But if Patrick Kane is off, the rest of the Blackhawks are off. I mean, sure, he's been playing with Alex Dabrinkit, who's taken his game to a new level this year, but he's not nearly at the level of, you know, this kind of second fiddle, so to speak, is like Drysaddle and Marner is. Like, he's, I think he's ninth in scoring overall. I would need to double-check that. 11th at, at the time of... um. At the moment, he's 11th in scoring in the NHL. So he's definitely up there, and he's definitely a great player, but he's nowhere near kind of the um, the second to these guys as Marner or Dreisaitl are. Yeah, and that's really the thing you have to take into account with the MVP. You know, as much fun as it is to say McDavid and Dreisaitl and you know all these other names, there really hasn't been anyone who's been as important to their team this season as Kane has been to the Blackhawks. Mm-hmm. You want to give me an early prediction? Are you going to go with Kane or I'm going to go with Kane? You know, I'm going to let my my hometown bias, I'm going to let my Blackhawk bias come out. I've got Kane winning that, and I feel like that's just a, a safe prediction. I feel like that's just the way it should be. Yeah, my heart my heart says Kane, but my brain says McDavid. At least for now, I think I think even if I think Kane probably should win it, it's going to end up going to. McDavid, this is kind of the way of things. I thought McKinnon should have won it last year, but I knew it was going to go to Drysaddle. So. Moving forward, let's talk about the Vesna Trophy. I'm awarded to the best goalie in the NHL, and Dan Rosen's article here has. I'm going to go backwards because I'm, sc- I'm going to be scrolling back up. But it's going to be Vasilevsky. In the Central <laughs> Division, he is Vasilevsky yeah. as his finalist. In the, I'm sorry, I'm losing track of which order he did this in. In the West Division, it's going to be if I can find it here. Mark Andre Fleury, of course. In the East Division, it is Semyon Varlamov, and I believe I missed the division in there. Canadian is Connor Hellebuck of the Winnipeg Jets. So of those four, I'm going to throw it to you again. Any of those you want to talk about in particular? No, but I feel like I'm going to go with Halibut, just just for the Halibut of it. <laughs> As I'll back away from the mic you, after that amazing pun that shocked the entire world. You really tried. Oh come on! That I'll leave was it good. at that. Come on! It's a stretch. I mean, it was. It was. It, I, I'll give you points for creativity, but it was definitely a stretch. Ah. In in terms of how his name is pronounced, but, anyways, 
Do you have any other takes, any other puns you want to make? I have no more puns to make at this moment in time. Come back to me next week, and maybe I'll have one more. (laughs) As my headset keeps falling off my head. Problems with this week in hockey. Anyways, really, Halibic, great. I I love him. He's fun to watch. Really, I don't know if I can really go against Vasilevsky. There you go. Because just how he's done this year, you know, that streak of shutouts he had last week, how can you really go against that? Yeah, it's very difficult. He's been playing at a very high level. I'm trying to pull up his um, the exact numbers for him right now. Um, Andre Vasilevsky currently a .936 save percentage, which is very, very good, and especially... um. In today's NHL, when the shooters are much better than they were in the past, it it really feels to me like it's a two-way race between Andre Vasilevsky and Mark Andre Fleury. I mean, Mark Andre Fleury—he's one of the best. Uh, he's one of the most pleasant surprises to come out of the season, not because people thought he wouldn't be good, but people thought he was going to be kind of usurped by what that can't remember his name, Robin Leonard. And then he came out to start the season, played insanely well, and now he has a .938 save percentage. And four shutouts on the year for Flurry, so he's been a huge, a huge reason for the Golden Knights' success. And I feel like it's kind of a two-man race between those two. I mean, you can take Flurry and you can take Vasilevsky, and I won't fall you for either. Yeah, I feel like both are good predictions. So I'm gonna cut you off a bit here because time constraints. We're gonna go into the award ceremony here, as we do on the show: the Skater of the Week, Goaltender of the Week, and the Team of the Week. So as usual, I'm going to go first. Skater of the Week. I've got Leon Dreisaitl, four goals. Three assists, seven total points, three hits, important stat, and a 44.4% shooting percentage, which is phenomenal. So that is my skater of the week. Michael, it's your turn. Well, I also pick Leon Dreisaitl with five goals, or, yeah, five goals in the last couple of days. So that's pretty incredible there, obviously, having four. that shot percent. Four goals? Yes. Three and one or four and one? I keep forgetting. It's four goals, three assists. Four goals, three assists. So... Big contributions from him. He's my skater of the week. I wanted to give some recognition to a rookie, Dylan Coglin of the Vegas Golden Knights, who had not only his first and not only his second, but his third career goal all in the same game, the third defenseman in NHL history to do so. So Dylan Coglin's my skater of the week. Goalie of the week, a different guy from the Central Division, Capo Kakonen. I feel like that's a t- Logan's going to correct me here. Capo Kekkonen. Capo Kekkonen. I was that was not really close. Three and zero on the week. Four goals allowed. One shutout and a point nine four nine save percentage on the week. That's my goalie of the week. I'm going to go with Semyon Varlamov. Um, only allowing he allowed two goals the other day, but prior to that he had had a streak where he had only allowed one goal for several games. So good for him. He's my goalie of the week. I also went with um Capo Kekkonen of the um. Minnesota Wild. And our final part here, the team of the week. I don't I'm looking at the board here. I can't really go against either. You know what? I'm gonna go with my second favorite team, the Carolina Hurricanes, six game win streak. So far, second place in the whatever sponsor central division, whatever way it is. Discover. The dis- the Discover Central Division. They're going to be a fun team to watch when the playoffs roll around. So that's my team of the week. Michael. Go. Going to go with the Islanders, uh, six-game win streak, lose less in the month of March. So how about that? Islanders, Michael Imami's team of the week. 
Yeah, my team of the week is also the New York Islanders. As Michael said, six straight wins. First in the Mass Mutual East Division. Of course, three These of them... sponsors, man. I can't. <laughs> three of those were obviously against the Sabres, so take it that way you will. But they are now first in that division. And yeah, they're my team of the week. All right, we're going to take a short break. We come back here, the final word. All this on Hot Corner on KCU 8.1 FM and KCU.FM. How was your day? Fine. Did you learn anything new? No. Anything I should know? No. Is everything okay? Yeah. Sometimes it can be hard to connect with teens. Use Connect With Me activity cards to deepen your conversations. Visit health.mo.gov connect to access these free cards and other resources. A message from the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. If you love them enough to sit through their favorite boy band with them, then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're correctly buckled in the back seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ag Council. You know you make me wanna kick my heels up If you ever walk down into the student center, into the basement, by the KCO Studios, you'll see the three of us throw our hands up to shout every single Thursday. For our favorite segment on the show, my favorite segment, the final word. As usual, I pick a weird sports story to talk about or sport. Michael does a hero of the week, and Logan heads you off into the workday with a nice feel-good story. So, without further ado, I'm going to go first. Throughout the three years... We've been doing the show. There is one sport that I have always wanted to talk about. It has been one that has eluded me, given how odd the past year has gone with COVID and everything. But this week, we are traveling to the great, odd, and wild country of Finland for the sport also known as wife carrying. The game comes from an old Finnish legend of a man in this gang who would practice for raids by carrying barrels. Now, so I should mention, this gang was not good because they would raid towns and steal wives and carry them over their shoulder and take them away from, from the town. But the sport does come from that, which is a very weird backstory. Honestly, it should not be a sport, but hey, they're Finnish. They can do whatever they want. But the game had changed from over the years into what it is today. And today, men carry their wife or any other girl on their shoulder, and run through a mix of ob- obstacles. This includes rowing through rivers, jumping over barrels, stuff like that, like any kind of obstacle course. And if one drops their wife or whoever they're carrying, they get a 15-second penalty. Now, the couple with the best time, this is my favorite part, gets their wife's weight in beer, <laughs> which is the most Finland thing I've ever heard. But the couple of Vytas Kirkolaskas and uh, Naringa Kirkolaskaini have won the past two world championships. So look at them as the... Uh, as the Celtics and Lakers of their <laughs> of their respected sport. So also to finish off, sports was practiced in Hong Kong, Australia, United States, India, UK, and Germany. So boys, when we all eventually get married, are we traveling over to Finland to, to participate in the world champion wife carrying? Come on. I don't see why Come not. On. I Come think on. there's a lot of um, you win your wife's weight. A lot of beauty there. By the way, I just want to give you props. I don't have the names in front of me, but that sounded like a very good pronunciation of those Finnish names. Uh, I'm just gonna say it was. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded very, very good. So I, I want to give you props for that. Yeah, that that's that's a sport I've wanted to talk about for the past few years. We just never had the chance to do it because you know it usually takes place over the summer, and we're not here for the summer. Now I will be here for seven weeks of the summer, so. 
hot corner continue on in the summer? Uh, Maybe keep your, some keep Zoom your, shows keep you your going ears solo. Peel. <laughs> keep your ears peeled for that. Keep your ears peeled for it. All right, Michael, it's your turn. All right, so I got another story here about a family who has been battling, or a woman who's been battling cancer, but the hero is the son. So the son is a basketball player, and his mother, named Pauline, uh, had told his dad that she had cancer for the first time. Obviously, she's been battling it for six years now, so it's been a difficult time for her, but her son has has been playing for her. Uh, Just an incredible player and an incredible story from him. He is second on the team, or excuse me, first on the team in rebounds, second on the team in points. His mother's been able to attend almost all of their games. His kid's name is Ian Roche, and his mother's name is Pauline Roche, and um, it's been just an incredible story hearing him being able to play for his mom. So Ian Rosh, Hero of the Week, or my Hero of the Week. It's a great story. And my feel-good story, it's it's not much of a story, more of like a, a message. But regardless, it, it's it been a year, exactly actually to the day, March 11th, the year um, since Rudy Gobert tested positive for coronavirus, sent the kind of sports world into a into a um, standstill, as Patrick always says, the day when sports stopped. Um, Rudy Gobert was the first domino to fall. And that was when life as we knew it changed. And I was I was doing some some reading, looking around for stuff, when I stumbled upon this piece by Chip Scoggins in the Minnesota Star t- um, Tribune. And I had a lot... It, it's, it's about kind of this whole thing, how none of us expected we'd be he- um, in the situation we are a year from from that day, which was true. We felt like it would only be a few months, I remember, at the time. But... Regardless, it feels like things are coming back to this sense of normalcy, and that was kind of the gist of what he was getting at. Things are getting better. March Madness is set to take off. The NHL and NBA are in full swing. Opening day in the MLB is quickly approaching. The NFL League year is kicking off as planned. And the way I I can't really put it better than he did, so I'm going to read what he said in this piece. But he says, For my money, March is the best month in the sports calendar. High school state tournaments take place. March Madness starts next week. Opening day is fast approaching. I love this month. I feel hopeful again. And I feel like we kind of lost that last year when March Madness was canceled and all these sports were kind of sent into this weird in-between ground where we didn't know what was what was coming next. But my message to everyone, and um, as Chip Scoggins kind of put it as well, I feel like the hardest part is now behind us. So my one message is just keep the hope because we're going to make it. We're almost there, I feel like at least. I feel like we are because given we've, we've made it this far, we've survived the year. We can survive much worse. And with that, for sure. that is the end of another episode of the Hot Corner. Make sure to follow us on our social media page at Hot Corner Sports. You can follow yours truly at Patrick Harry and Logan at Living Like Logan and Michael at Imami. Michael, also make sure to check us out on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and any other podcast services under the name The Hot Corner. We hope you have a wonderful Thursday, and we'll see you next week. Same place, same time. So until then, it's Matt Corner signing off. Days up.